นัปโมตัสสะภะคะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนัปโมตัสสะภะคะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนัปโมตัสสะภะคะวะโต
and then samma vaja, right speech, samma gamanta, right action, samma ajiva, right livelihood, samma vayama, right effort, samma sati, right mindfulness, and samma samadhi, right concentration, right collectedness. And so I'll give an explanation on the, each of these factors. And the Buddha taught all of these. And in the end, when this path comes together, it forms a way for us to go out of suffering. So the Buddha taught for us to see and to know suffering, to pay attention to suffering. He taught about the causes of suffering and their abandonment. He taught about the cessation of suffering and to make that clear for us, to realize that. And he taught about this path that leads to the end of uh, that suffering. So this was the, the first teaching he taught this, and also in Kusinara, just before he passed into uh, total Nibbana, he also taught this noble path as well. And so he taught um, that in any religion, this was to the wanderer, Subhata, he said that in any religion in which they don't have this noble path and they don't follow, they don't practice following this noble path, then in that religion there won't be any true summoners, any true um, kind of recluses or any true kind of noble beings. And so they won't have the first level of a stream entry or the second level of a sakatagami or the third level, anagami, uh, sakatagami, once returner, anagami, non-returner, or fourth level, arahant. So in any religion which they don't teach this noble eightfold path, they don't practice this noble eightfold path, then that religion is empty of samanas. So the first to fourth level of a samana um, just exists within the teachings that have this Noble Eightfold Path and any other teachings are empty of noble beings. So this shows us um, clearly the importance of this teaching, that the Buddha taught this in his first teaching and also in his last uh, talk before he passed away. So as Buddhists, we take this noble path as the highest Dhamma. And whoever practices it, wherever they practice it, um, if they really follow it truly, then they will be freed from suffering. And so we teach about suffering. We, we like to talk about dukkha, but what is this dukkha? Well, there's the dukkha, the stress, the unsatisfactoriness that comes from birth, old age, sickness, and death, <laughs> from being separated from the things that we like, and meeting with things that we don't like, not getting what we want, this is all dukkha. And so dukkha is there with everyone, all people, in all places. And so if we're born, then we have to meet with dukkha, because there's the stress of being uh, with condition phenomena. So the Buddha, 
He taught about this uh, dukkha. He taught us to pay attention to dukkha. Because dukkha is something which we all have already, but we often don't know it. We don't realize that it's not clear for us. Sometimes we see dukkha as being sukha. We see stress as actually being happiness. That, and we are deluded in that happiness. But in reality, um, these things that we call happiness, that they are unstable and impermanent. They're actually stressful and they're not self. So if we know this uh, correctly, then what we see is that uh, birth goes to old age, sickness and death. And throughout that we're always experiencing some form of stress, some form of dukkha. And it doesn't just finish with our death either, because after death comes another birth and the suffering follows us, just like a shadow. So when we're all born, we're born with kind of this misunderstanding and not knowing within our hearts, avijja. And avijja is the cause that makes us get born and die over and over again in samsara. We are born because we have avijja, because we don't know. We don't see suffering, we don't really understand suffering. We take stress to actually be happiness. And we think that some kinds of stress and satisfactoriness we're able to fix, where in reality we're not really able to. Because once being born, then we have to go through old age, sickness and death, and that's necessary. It comes along with our life. And so therefore we need a path which can actually take us out of this uh, suffering, and that is this noble path. And all eight factors, when they come together, can truly free us from dukkha. So this dukkha, this unsatisfactoriness, stress, suffering, is something that we need to pay attention to. <clears throat> we need to know what dukkha is. We need to know its cause. We need to know its cessation. We need to know the path uh, to that cessation, <clears throat> which is this noble path, which I have explained just previously. So we see that these lives we have in the cycle of sangsara, going between birth and death, birth and death, that it just goes on and on. And we can't find an end to it. And when we're born, then it's necessary to experience old age, sickness and death. And then upon death, then we need to be born once more. And so, this is an important um, issue for us Buddhists, because we see that if we correctly follow the teachings of the fully self-awakened Buddha, um, then in correctly following his teachings, what we need to do is to comprehend suffering, to abandon the causes of suffering, to see its cessation clearly, and to develop this noble path, which is the only path out that truly leads out of suffering. So we need to understand this clearly. We need to walk this path well.
And so to follow um, this noble path, and we have uh, right view, right thought or intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness. And we also establish our samadhi well, which means that the purpose of the samadhi is for the ending of suffering. And if we can practice in this way, then what we're doing is developing this noble path so that it is becoming pure and is becoming complete. And if we develop this way, then it, be, then, um, it takes us higher and higher. This is the, kind of the highway or the noble way that the Buddha taught. So in developing mindfulness, we establish uh, recollection in these four foundations of mindfulness. And we've probably all heard about these already. And it's likely that many of you will already be working on developing these. And there are many different um, objects of mindfulness that um, are within these four foundations. And so we just pick up one of those, like the breath, the in and the out breath. We can recite Buddha along with that, on the in breath Bud, the out breath Do like this, establishing our mindfulness well. And in reciting Buddha along with the breath, what we're doing is recollecting the great virtues of the fully self-awakened Buddha. And then we also recollect the Dhamma, the teachings of the Buddha, and we recollect the Noble Sangha as well. Those people who have practiced following the teachings of the Buddha to the point where they're able to see the Dhamma, to attain to the Dhamma, to free their hearts completely from suffering. And there are many, many beings who have done this. And this is something that we should follow their example and we should practice this way as well. So to do that, we establish our mindfulness in these four foundations. And as to how we do that, which object we use, um, object of recollection, well, that is up to us. It depends on our, our disposition or tendencies. So some people, they like to watch the breath, and some people think that the breath is something that's too refined. And it's difficult for them to get clarity around their breath. Or sometimes people are watching their breath and the breath just goes. So what we can do in that case is to be aware of our posture. And we can look at the various actions of this body to be aware of those. Whether we're standing, sitting, walking, lying down, whatever movements our body is engaging in. And we have recollection there, we know those movements, those actions whatever posture it's in, we know that, we're aware of that. So we do, when we establish mindfulness, we're allowing or getting mindfulness um, to direct and manage what we're doing. And by doing this, we're developing these four foundations of mindfulness. And our mindfulness becomes more and more constant. So we practice in whichever method is useful for having mindfulness, for making mindfulness well established, to not allowing the mind to drift outwards.
Because if the mindfulness is here within the body, then we're developing mindfulness uh, of uh, gaya, nupasana, satipatthana. And this prevents the mind from going outwards. It stops it from being involved in these five hindrances. And these five hindrances are things that previously we were constantly afflicted with throughout our lives. Things that have been with us and been aggravating us from the moment we awake until the moment we fall asleep. And so there is firstly of these five hindrances, there's this finding pleasure in sensuality. So being cl- clinging or being stuck um, and addicted to uh, forms and sounds and smells and taste, tactile sensations and even thoughts, you know, thought formations that we like. And this is um, this desire for sensuality, for sensual pleasure. So if we are thinking, if there's a thought that we like and we allow our minds to go off with that thought, what it shows is, is, is that at that time we're not practicing the Dhamma and we don't have mindfulness. Our mindfulness is tied up with the nivaranas, with the hindrances in that case. So next there's payabhata, which is ill will, anger, hatred. And so not liking. Like if we see someone and we feel ill at ease, um, then this is that hindrance coming up. And then there's the sloth and torpor, drowsiness. And this is something that's quite common for people who uh, practice the Dhamma. And really, each of these nivaranas, these hindrances, they work to blind us, to close our eyes, so that we don't know, so that we don't see the Dhamma, so that we become stuck in this world, in the world of sensuality. And so these nivaranas are things that we need to try to abandon because they take us along a path which is incorrect. They don't allow our minds to go along the right path. So next is um, kind of the scatteredness of mind. So following um, different sense impressions, whether it's memories of the past, thoughts about the future, it stops us from establishing mindfulness in this present moment. So you may think about something that happened 10 years ago and still there's, the thoughts are still carrying on from that. We think about someone who did something to us and we're angry with them, how we hate them, and we're still thinking about that 10 years on. Or sometimes we think about things in the future which haven't arrived yet. In the next five years, the next ten years, what am I going to do? And this is another hindrance. This obstructs peace of mind. And there is this um, also doubt or 
being hesitant. So in our normal everyday lives, there's a hesitance that we can experience, but that's a normal hesitating. But in terms of practicing the Dhamma, there's a different kind of hesitating or a different kind of doubt. So that can be doubt in the teachings of the Buddha and the Buddha himself. Did the Buddha actually exist? Or were these teachings just written down by someone and other people have studied them and we claim that they were written or they were said by the Buddha? So this is doubting the existence of the Buddha. And the next thing, which it, and this obstructs us from being able to see the Dhamma. The next doubt is that in the Dhamma itself, that by practicing this Dhamma, does it actually lead us out of suffering? And so that's doubt in the practice of the Dhamma. And then there's doubt in the Sangha. And the Sangha, the beings who have correctly, rightly practiced the Dhamma, following the teachings of the Buddha, those who have attained to the Dhamma, who have become noble beings, do they really exist? So this is doubt in the Sangha. And the last and important doubt is doubt in sila, samadhi and panya, in virtue, collectedness and wisdom. Will this path really take us out of suffering? Which essentially is doubt in this noble path. Will we see to the Dhamma, will we attain to the Dhamma through following this? Will we be able to clearly know the teachings of the Buddha through this? So what we should do is establish our mindfulness well in these four foundations. And when we develop these, our mindfulness grows stronger and stronger. Our right samadhi grows and grows. And the nivaranas, they no longer annoy us anymore. And samadhi really manifests here. And this gives rise to wisdom because wisdom comes following samadhi. When our minds are well established, then we can contemplate into this conditioned body in order to know its truth, to see its reality, that it's just a collection of material elements, a collection of earth, water, fire and air. So this earth element is that which is hard, like uh, the bones which form the, the structure of this body. And then there's the water element, the liquid parts of this body, the blood, for instance. There's the air element, which flows through the body and allows our body to be able to move. And if we don't have this air element, um, then we become disabled and unable to move our body. And then lastly, there's the fire element, which gives warmth to the body, which allows the body to survive to be able to have life. And if these bodies are devoid of fire elements, then they die. So this body is just a collection of these, of earth, water, fire and air, that these come together and form human bodies. And when we reflect and contemplate in this way, then we're developing the four foundations of mindfulness through that. This is Gaya, Nupasana, Satipatthana, the 
foundation of mindfulness of the body. So before we were very deluded in these bodies and thinking that these are things which last a long time, things which are beautiful. But when we see the truth of them, and we see how they're unattractive, you see how there's something that is not clean, that they have 32 parts to them, which are just a collection of four elements. There's hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth and skin, there's the bones, the sinews, the flesh, the lungs, or the other organs. And these exist within the bodies of every human. And they are there to allow us to live, to survive. But all of these things just gather together temporarily. And eventually, when their time is due, then they fall apart and these four elements separate out. The earth returns to earth, the water returns to water, the air flows out, goes back to the air, and the fire, um, that gets kind of burnt up, it goes out along with the funeral pyre which our bodies are burnt in. And so the truth of the body is like this, and if we can see in this way, then that shows that our wisdom is growing, that we're developing right view. And this is the first of the eight factors of this noble path, something which we're all developing already, is seeing things correctly, seeing the body as just being a collection of four elements, having all of these unattractive things within it, seeing how it doesn't last long, it has to deteriorate. And the truth of the body is like this, it's something which is not stable, it's something which is temporary, and which is also stressful as well, and painful. And also, the most important perception is anatta, is seeing that this body is not self, but rather just material elements that have come together, and that need to return to where they came from. So when we see in this light, then we're, that shows that we've already developed right view. We see the nature of the body, the nature of conditioned phenomena in a way which is correct. And by doing that, right view becomes complete. We also have this right thought or right intention as well, this second factor is something which we're also developing. And if our views are correct, if our thoughts are correct, then our speech will be correct following that as well. Because if our thoughts and our speech is good, then our, our thoughts and our views are good, then our speech will just, that will come, naturally come out through our speech. If that's correct, then our speech will naturally be correct as well. And so when we have this right view and right thought, right speech, then our actions will also be correct. So we see how each factor, each aspect of this path works to develop 
the one which precedes it. And then there's right livelihood. Because when we're viewing things correctly and thinking correctly, when our actions and speech are correct, then we'll also be um, supporting our lives in a way which is correct as well. And so by doing this, then the Eightfold Path is beginning to come together. And so if we have all of these in the correct way, these factors previously mentioned, right view, right thought, right speech, right action, right livelihood, what that shows is that our effort is also right as well. Because in order to speak in a correct way, in order to think, to act in a correct way, then our effort needs to be correct. And we're also developing mindfulness through this as well. Because in order to do all of these things, we need to have mindfulness. It needs to be firm. We need to be recollecting uh, the body, the feelings, the mind, and the Dhamma, these four foundations. And so the Noble Path is starting to become complete. And then when we have this uh, right view, right thought, and all these other factors are right, uh, samadhi is right, and then we'll also, uh, sorry, our samadhi will also be developing too. And here, this noble path really comes together. It collects, it becomes complete and ready. And when it reaches a state of completion, when people practice following this way, then they turn from one who is thick with defilements, a patojana, to a noble being, an arya. In the beginning, a sotapanna, one who has entered into the flow, the stream of the Dhamma, who has at most seven lives remaining. And after that, will enter into final Nibbana for sure. So by developing right mindfulness, by developing our sila, well, our virtue, by developing right samadhi, then this noble path that comes together and we're able to cross over from one who is defiled to one who is noble. A stream entrer, a once-returner, a non-returner, or an arahant. And so this path comes together and we um, see the Dhamma and eventually attain to the Dhamma uh, through walking on this noble path, which is what the Buddha taught. He taught this during his first sermon and he also taught this during his final sermon as well. So the Buddha also said in a very clear and concise way that if there are still people in this world who are studying and practicing, following this Noble Eightfold Path, then the world will not be empty of arahants. If we study this Noble Path and practice this Noble Path, whether we are monks, whether we are lay people, then we will become true summoners. We will attain to stream entry or being a once-returner, a non-returner, or an arahant.
that this really is the path that leads us out of suffering. And so today I have taught about this uh, Noble Eightfold Path in order for us to, to help us all uh, develop in mindfulness and wisdom because this is the way that truly does lead out of suffering and there's no other way that can free us from dukkha. That when we practice following this Noble Path then we will reach Maga, Pala, Nibbana so may all of you who are listening to this talk, may you develop upon this noble eightfold path until you reach the paths, the fruits and nibbana. <laughs>